trigger warning. The following episode contains references to Animal cruelty Human suffering Death Factual inaccuracies Several entitled people making light of all these things. If any of the aforementioned topics cause you discomfort, you may want to listen to a different episode. Don't want to be a rocket scientist, huh? Well, Mr. Pistol might have something to say about that. I'm Albert. Is this the Soviet space program or a bad country song? I'm Albert. Turns out the only two things you really need in space are a can-do attitude and a working parachute. I'm Albert. Well, boss, the good news is our Bees in Space program has shown that in space bees grow 100-fold. But I'm afraid I have some bad news, too. I'm Albert, and this is Acid Pop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking about early space travel. Uh, Ooh, no. (laughs) Which, some of these are going to be a little later on the timeline, but I would argue that we're still pretty much in early space travel, so I think (laughs) it's all legitimate. so many dead monkeys, though. (laughs) (laughs) So, etymology, space comes from Latin spatium, which basically just means an area, so that is pretty straightforward. Okay. And travel comes from Middle English traveling. (laughs) <laughs> they're always just like traveling southern yeah. <laughs> traveling, traveling wrestling <laughs> meaning to make a laborious journey which i did not realize that a travel meant a hard trip not just a trip so oh yeah there's a the oregon trail laborious yeah there is spaceophobia, which is the fear of outer space, which uh, none of the people we will be discussing today had until after the fact yeah. that also f- Seems like a weird fear to have because yeah. we're not going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> not not likely. Though some of the animals we're going to discuss might have had this. Yeah, it's a pretty good phobia to have, really. Yeah, pretty safe from that one. I have a fear of being launched into space. Ah, you <laughs> gigantic wiener. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on to our acid pop quiz. True or false? There are human corpses in space. That's got to be true. I'm going to say true. Wasn't somebody launched? It wasn't... Uh, uh, billions and billions. Carl Sagan launched into space? Or his ashes? <laughs> I mean, Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Man. I feel like most of the astronauts who have died have burned up and fallen back to Earth. <laughs> but someone's ashes getting launched out there. If that counts, I'm going to say true. If not, I'm going to say false. Well, Kelly's got it. It is false. At least by my definition. In fact, Damn. only three people have technically died in space. And all that three bodies were recovered. Yeah. Mostly people die as a result of bad launches or landings, so they yeah. do die in the atmosphere. Yeah, that's true. Now, several people have been cremated and launched into space, but those aren't corpses. So what you're saying is there's like a thin layer of human dust <laughs> encircling yeah. the, the globe. Slowly but surely, we're making our own Saturn ring. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that any of the ashes have been released. I think they're all like in packets flying <laughs> off towards Jupiter. No, the container broke open, and the next time you catch a snowflake on your tongue, it's Carl Sagan. This Mm. one tastes pretentious. (laughs) This one tastes like a guy who smoked a lot of weed and trained Neil deGrasse Tyson. (laughs) In the art of condescension... How would you (laughs) conjugate that? Condescension? Condescension. There you go. So true or false, there are animal corpses in space. I gotta go with true. 
I mean, but I thought there's people up there too. But what if the dog mm-hmm. hit the eject button? <laughs> <laughs> Why do we put that in there? Why is it shaped like a bone? Why? Do- <laughs> How would a dog even know if there was an emergency to use it? <laughs> I think that one's true. Yeah. Now this is also false. What's oh. We killed a Noah's Ark worth of animals in the early days, but all <laughs> crashed back to Earth if they ever left at all. Why did we launch that elephant? <laughs> Let alone two. Yeah. So true or false, private companies have gotten to space. True. I think SpaceX made it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they did. They went high. What is space? Uh, having a crisis now. 100 kilometers is space. So we got tropophere, stratosphere, and then the other two. Spacesphere. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, this is true. The first time it was done, at least, was Spaceship One, which was the first private spaceship to take humans into space. And it did it on three occasions in 2004. That's cool. Yeah. This thing looked like a 50s sci-fi ship, but it could go Mach 3 and just barely, barely made it to space. Like I said, 100 kilograms is outer space. I think it made it to like 110. It cost about $25 million to make, though it did win a $10 million prize for being the first private craft to make it to space. Okay, we're only 15 in the hole. Didn't know there was a contest. I could have tried. Yeah. Also, it took off from the the Mojave Airport, so they renamed themselves the Mojave Air and Spaceport. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) Which is pretty cool. Yeah. So we're on to our fill in the blank. What is the longest time a man-made object has been in orbit? Man-made object. Mm-hmm. Ooh. So not the moon. In orbit? I feel like there's isn't there like probably the, still stuff up there from the first time. What about the Viking? Isn't that the one that, that, that has gone super far now? Well, that wouldn't be orbit, though. Yeah. Oh, Is right. Sputnik still up there? <laughs> no. What about, what's the name of the dog? Laszlo or? <laughs> Laika. Laika. <laughs> well, we know the dog's not up there. We've just yeah, established that. That's true. Dogs are made by men. <laughs> I'm going to say Babe Ruth had a baseball up there and it never came down. <laughs> Let's say 50 years. That's what I was thinking. Uh, how long have we been sending stuff up into space? I, well, I'm going to, nope. Okay. I'm going to say 62 years. I'm going to say the Nazis launched something. I'll say 55. Split okay. the difference. Well, you guys are roughly in the right ballpark and you did get it there because we don't know because it's still up there. The <laughs> Vanguard 1 launched by the U.S. in 1958 is still in orbit and is expected to do so for another 240 years. Wow. Damn. Yeah. What is it even doing up there? Vanguard. <laughs> Let's say you have a rocket that's going to carry something to space and the whole thing weighs 10 pounds. How much of that is fuel? Oh, How it's much a of the lot. 10 pounds? Nine tenths. Yeah. 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 I was going to say nine like tenths. 90%. <laughs> yeah. Nine so, pounds of it. Yeah. You guys got it right on the head there. Roughly 90%. So the same is true in kilos. So if it was 10 kilo rocket, nine kilos is fuel. So yeah, whatever you're trying to lift into space, you basically need that times nine worth of fuel. That's crazy. Yeah. Not even worth getting anything up there. You need some of <laughs> Alan Parsons solid rocket fuel. <laughs> So how many people have gone to space and how many people have died trying? I don't know. The amount of people <laughs> that have gone to space, I'm going to say 43. Okay. The amount of people who have died is going to be significantly, I'm going to say 23, 20 less. And 57. <laughs> died trying to get to space? Yeah. I mean, the Challenger's like eight. I'm going <laughs> to say 50. But how many people went? 30. I mean, they're 
constantly cycling people in and out of the space station. That's true. I didn't even think about that. I'm going to say a hundred, although I think that's probably high. But for people who've died, I don't know, 20? (laughs) So I was going to try and shock you all with how high the death ratio was, but yours was about 50%, 50%, and 20%. (laughs) That's pretty high. As of a few months ago, 561 people have gone to space. Ooh, I'm the closest without going over. (laughs) Yeah. And 30 have died in accidents during launches. Oh, I was close. I said 27. You did, yeah. So 30 have died in accidents during launches, re-entries, or in training to go to space. Meaning that if you do venture to space, you have about a 1 in 20 chance of surviving. Uh, I feel like we. That's not bad. I guess, (laughs) but I feel like we might have less people trying to be astronauts if they knew that. No, it's astronauts. That's true. What about cosmonauts? Can I be a cosmonaut? (laughs) Maybe. How well do you speak Russian? (laughs) Really, you Uh, need that either way. Dostoevsky. (laughs) Danka. That's how good. (laughs) So, which animals on this list have not gone to space? Spiders, fish, frogs, earthworms, bees, or geckos? I'm going to say just geckos. Have not gone? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see why we'd bring a gecko. <laughs> the other ones, like earthworms, would be interesting to see in space. Bees, the bees are dying. We need to find yeah. something in space that can cure them. <laughs> They're doing everything they can with bees just to see what sticks. They're going to terraform Mars. Spiders, I could see being really interesting. Yeah, I'd I like to see that. those webs. <laughs> yeah. What were the other ones? Fish? Fish? Uh, I, 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 the, well, I don't know fish. about fish, actually. I'm going to say it's no like, fish. Geckos and fish. Yeah. I'm, I'm comfortable with that answer. So the only thing on that list that didn't go to space was earthworms. What? Yep. Water tanks in space is very dangerous. <laughs> so spiders and fish were basically to see how they dealt with zero G. Uh, <laughs> and how did they them. deal with zero G? Turns out they did okay. I mean, spiders, when they build their webs, they never are just like hanging really so they pretty much just did it like normal frogs and i forget what frogs were for bees i don't actually remember bees either but geckos was interesting i remember geckos because they wanted to see if it like helped or hurt their regeneration so they were just uh, pulling off their limbs in space (laughs) yeah basically experiment number 28 the gecko now is an amputee (laughs) (laughs) so we're on to our terms i've only got two but they're fun. What is the Albert project? It is the project that made Albert Wesker the man that only has seven minutes to deal with you. <laughs> it's the not as famous sister band to the Alan Parsons project. Alan Parsons, of course, the man who made solid rocket fuel. <laughs> it's just a guy. They're training to go up to space. <laughs> Albert, he's he, not doing very well, but they're determined one day Albert will be ready. He's really full of Hi. himself. <laughs> So the first primate in space was a rhesus macaque launched on a V-2 rocket by the United States in 1948. He died of suffocation. Hmm. (laughs) Include air next time. (laughs) Turns out there's not air up there. (laughs) Who knew? For reasons I couldn't uncover, all future monkeys shot into space were also named Albert. (sighs) Hmm. So this endeavor became known as the Albert Project. Albert's had a survival rate of about 33%. Albert suffocated, blew up, and hit the ground at several mocks when their parachutes failed, all in the name of science. Poor Albert. (laughs) Science, you've done it again. 
It was just so that they could sort of understate the number of monkeys they'd lost. <laughs> well, there was Albert, and um, I can't think of any others. <laughs> just Albert, really? Just the one Albert. So what is a Whipple bumper? <laughs> <laughs> this is very scientific. Be- Quit laughing. <laughs> I believe that's one of the wickets that you have to hit a cricket ball for <laughs> before you can turn a point. <laughs> a cricket wicket Whipple bumper. <laughs> <laughs> Whipple bumper. Whipple bumper. Mr. Whipple's the guy who uh, was not allowed to squeeze the Charmin. It's like the, the things they put on bowling alleys when you can't go into the gutter. Yeah. But it's for it's for like brand new astronauts. They put them around the, the cabin of the, the spaceship so they don't bump into things. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. So they turn him into a pinball machine? Yeah. It goes around the outside of the ship for re-entry, but it's made of whipped cream. <laughs> <laughs> It turns into creme brulee when landing. Mm. Oh, so the astronauts have a good treat. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of space debris out there, and it's moving really fast, up to 11 miles or 18 kilometers a second, or about 40,000 miles per hour or 64,000 kilometers per hour. That's faster than me. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> At that speed, it doesn't really matter how big it is. It'll ruin your day regardless. To protect from this, the ISS is covered in over 100 Whipple bumpers, <laughs> which are devices that break up debris. They don't slow things down over much, but they break things apart until they can be stopped by something sturdy. And they were invented by Fred Whipple. Yeah. So now he just slaps his name on it, and now he's yep. selling it. He's selling it. <laughs> when you say they break things up, like what? if I'm looking at a Whipple bumper, what, yeah. am I, what would it look like? Basically, it looks like a really sturdy, fine mesh, and then mm. a really dense material a few inches behind that mesh. Okay. Now, I, I've seen photos of like three-inch steel things that oh. have been hit by Brag about space it. debris. Yeah. It is shocking. Yeah. And that concludes our acid pop quiz. I won, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on to our stories. Uh, first up, I'd like to start with Russia, or more specifically, the Soviet Union's space program. <laughs> now, we all know the space race was in the high gear in the 1950s and 60s, but the idea behind it and rocketry goes back to the early 1900s. The Soviet Union had many scientists working on rocketry, but our old friend Stalin had a bad habit of killing people on a whim. And before <laughs> yep. too long, almost all the scientists in the field had either fled the country or were too dead to contribute much. Oh, dear. (laughs) Then World War II happens, and suddenly rockets are a big deal. Now, the Americans had some cool ideas on that front, but the Germans were the ones that were really tearing it up. Of course. Suddenly, Stalin wanted rockets. (laughs) Where are all my scientists? (laughs) (laughs) Bring back the the dead. (laughs) When it was gently pointed out to him that the last time someone got him some rocket scientists, he killed them all. He gave him that famous dead-eyed Stalin stare and said, then go get me some more. (laughs) Find me rocket scientists. I I mean, children rocket scientists? I don't know. So what to do? The obvious answer is to go get some from the Germans. Now, Uh, the Americans were thinking the same thing, and they had an operation going on called Operation Paperclip. Lame name, but basically they would find cool scientists and send them a note that would say, hey, if you show up at this place at this time, we'll get you, your family, and all the stuff you can carry to a place that smells less like dead Jewish people. Operation Paperclip. Hey, it looks like you're trying to do rocket science. Would you like some help? Yeah. Damn, Andy, you just stole my intro. (laughs) 
So the Soviets, on the other hand, initiated Operation Ozovyakim, in which they marched into Germany, broke into every research facility they could find, put a gun to the faces of the scientists and said, congratulations, you work for Russia now. Still better than working for Germany. (laughs) Very persuasive. The scientists were then marched back to Russia and imprisoned for the next decade or so. So now the Soviets have a rocket program. Time to get to work. Or rather, put the German prisoners to work. Very dedicated scientists. (laughs) (laughs) Work or you die. (laughs) So things move along nicely for the next few years, and in 1951, the Soviets started firing rockets into space with dogs on board to see how it went. Each dog went through rigorous training on being in confined spaces for prolonged periods of time, and at the end, they each received their own adorable pressure suit and bubble helmet. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Desik and Tsiagin were the first pair of dogs to make it to space. They both survived, and Desik went up again with a different dog named Lisa, but both died when their parachute failed to deploy. Smelia made an escape the day before the launch. (laughs) Saw what happened to Lisa. Good for you, Smelia. (laughs) She was captured a few days later and strapped into the rocket with Malaishka, and they both survived their flight. Bolik had been through all his training, but successfully escaped. On the day of the launch, a stray dog was captured and stuffed into the rocket in Bolik's place. <laughs> Trained enough. Like a, <laughs> How like do a, all these dogs keep escaping? <laughs> like a, Don't know. But this basically showed that all that training was basically for show. Uh, his name was Zib, which basically is a Russian acronym that means Bolik substitute. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Bars and Lishka went up, but their rocket blew up less than 30 seconds after launch. These dogs broke all kinds of records. First mammal in space, first animal to make it to orbit, and that all makes for good stories. But my favorite story, far and away, was the tale of Damka and Krasovka. Ah, who could forget? (laughs) Uh, The old children's tale. (laughs) (laughs) They were supposed to make an orbital flight in December of 1960, but, well, there were some problems. Their last stage rocket failed to fire, and their craft came tumbling back to Earth. If this happened, the craft was to eject the dogs in their capsule, then self-destruct. You know, trade secrets Uh and all that. Unfortunately, the eject also failed. (laughs) Oh, no. Luckily, the self-destruct failed, too. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) The parachutes did work, and the capsule came to rest in the middle of the snow. The Soviets rushed out there to recover the capsule and the dogs, and they were in a hurry for several reasons, not least of which was because the capsule had its own second self-destruct set for 60 hours. (laughs) Stop adding these things! (laughs) Well, they were right. The first one didn't work. (laughs) So given the failure rate so far, it was probably safe, but still. You know what this rocket needs? More explosives. (laughs) They made it to the capsule right as the sun went down, but the port window was so covered in ice that they couldn't see inside. They couldn't get it open by dark, so they decided to come back in the morning. Amazingly, 12 hours later, they came back to hear barking inside. They cracked Hmm. open the craft and rescued the two dogs unharmed. What kind of dogs were these? All kinds of dogs. Mostly they were small, uh, you know, like... uh, Shiba Inu sized. Well, not quite that small, but like Beagle or Shiba Inu sized. Yeah, that like 30 to 50 pound range. Picturing a Beagle in space is strange. (laughs) Beagle, well, the ears float very nicely. What about Wishbone? Yeah, why isn't Wishbone in space? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, sorry to interrupt, but 
last time when we were recording, we got interrupted halfway through by my adorable screaming daughter, so we had to call it quits for the day, and now we're recording again, but in the in-between time, I got sick, so there's nothing wrong with your recording, I just have been replaced with Barry White, so (laughs) sorry to interrupt, on we go. Hey, baby. Now, this was all going on during the Cold War, which, in case you don't know, is when Russia and America were locked in a staring contest, each holding a nuclear missile to the other's head, waiting to see who blinked first. (laughs) Your wiener. (laughs) Now, both countries wanted to prove they were better than the other, and as a result, they both tended to exaggerate their successes and downplay, if not outright lie, about their failures. What failures? (laughs) Uh, During a rocket test in the 1960s, before the launch could really get started, basically the first and second stage rockets went off at once. And a rocket plus a rocket equals a bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Over 100 people died in the explosion, most running screaming for their lives. One of Russia's top rocket scientists, Mitrovan Nedelin, was at the launch and died as well. Uh, the government covered up the whole mess, uh, and they could write off most of the people there, but since it would be pretty obvious that their rock star scientist was gone, they claimed he died during a plane crash. (laughs) The story leaked to a few news news sources, but Russia continued to deny the explosion until 1989, almost 30 (laughs) years later. Why didn't, why didn't they just like spin it as like, Oh no, all the people there were traitors and we tricked them into (laughs) testing our new bomb. That's uh, on canon for Stalin. So the next year, cosmonaut Valentin Bondarenko was in a pressure chamber filled with pure oxygen when a cotton ball got loose and hit a hot plate. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) This This sounds safe. (laughs) This tiny fire turned the chamber into a mortar. I know I shouldn't have had dental work before this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Why were we we about to cook steaks in here? (laughs) Space sticks. And Bondarenko died instantly. Uh, this one was covered up until 1986. They lost a lot of scientists and astronauts very abruptly in the 80s. This, this next story is quite the story. In 1967, cosmonaut Vladimir Komarov was picked to pilot the Soyuz 1, which was to be the first craft to go around the moon and come back. Now, Ooh. Soyuz 1 had some issues. There was a lot of political strife from two factions of the government. One wanted secrecy and the other wanted to boast. As a result, there was a lot of push and pull in different directions on the project. Some very loud whispering. (laughs) Secret boasting. The engineers were rushing through the construction of the craft and the cosmonauts looked at it as one might a coffin. (laughs) Can't imagine why. Very comfy in there. (laughs) When Kamarov was picked, he really didn't want to strap into this flying coffin, but he knew if he didn't, his good buddy Yuri Gagarin would have to go instead. (laughs) Now, for those of you who don't know, Yuri Gagarin was the first man to orbit the Earth, and he was something of a rock star. So he didn't want to go, but he really didn't want Yuri to go, so he put on a brave face and saddled up. So he launches and starts trying to run through the mission steps. Step one, deploy the solar panels. That fails. (laughs) So he tries to call home and report to home base uh, using his high-frequency antenna, but that isn't working so hot either. The phone line's been cut. (laughs) He does get a few bits of conversation back and forth, and with some help from the ground, he tries and fails for five hours to get the stupid thing pointed at the moon. Oh, no. (laughs) 
On his 19th trip around the planet, they decide to call it quits. Now he has to come back down, and there's a cool doodad that can do it automatically. It fails. (laughs) They forgot it at the launch. (laughs) So what on this craft was working? Well, uh, Komarov was working really great. He was working overtime, man. (laughs) He's really cooking. So now he has to do it by hand, looking through a little periscope sticking out the bottom of the ship. Wow. The only thing is, for reasons I don't understand, the craft has to be pointed at the sun to re-enter correctly, but it also has to re-enter on the night side of the Earth. (laughs) Help me. Periscope, is there actually kaleidoscope? (laughs) So Kamarov points his broke-ass ship at the sun while on the day side, then he holds that position until he swings around to the night side of the planet and waits for just the right moment to come back. This is an incredibly difficult shot, but he pulls it off. He gets back in the atmosphere and pulls his chute, but you'll never guess what happens. (laughs) Parachutes made a fishing net? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the parachutes fail, and this was the straw that uh, broke the camel's back. Uh, Komarov died on impact. Uh, Oh, man, I was really pulling for him. Yeah, I mean, he did everything he could, but it just wasn't enough. Why are buttons made of Oreos? <laughs> well, he won't need this parachute because everything else is broken. <laughs> no. He's never going to make it that far. <laughs> These dials are pull off stickers. <laughs> Did his buddy say anything or was that politically impolite? I, I don't know what Gregarin's reaction was. So remember earlier when I mentioned that the only only three people have ever died in space? Yes. Well, those three were also cosmonauts. <laughs> They were Vladislav Volkov, Giorgio Doborowski, and Viktor Patsayev, and they were aboard the Soyuz 11. They were the first people to fly up and land on a space station, but they weren't the first to make it back down from said (laughs) space station. Uh. On re-entry, a pressure seal failed under one of their seats and sucked out all the air. All three men suffocated, but the capsule landed safely. (laughs) once on the ground all the air came back so when the recovery team opened the capsule to find three dead men in an unarmed capsule they were more than a little spooked it took a while but they eventually found the source of the problem got the space sickness yeah space madness (laughs) so there's no deaths in this last story but it's a great one on September of 1973 the Soyuz 7KT number 39 took off for the Russian space station with cosmonaut Vasily Lazarov and Oleg Makarov on board. The first stage rocket went okay, and the second stage fired fine, but then it didn't fully disengage. As a result, the third stage rocket went full blast into the face of the still-attached second rocket. (laughs) Okay, can never beat the third stage. (laughs) This got them off, but the craft went off its trajectory and began falling and tumbling back towards Earth. The cosmonaut's fired out their landing capsule, but it just so happened to be pointing at the ground instead of pointing up. So the, well, that'll get you there. Yeah. <laughs> the craft was built to withstand 15 Gs, but since they were pointed at the ground, it experienced 21.3 Gs. <laughs> Despite this, the chutes deployed and the craft landed softly on top of a mountain. <laughs> oh, no. Well, that means they didn't have to fall as far. Well, yet... So, with physics still in charge of this dance, the capsule rolled merrily down the mountain with its two cosmonauts bouncing around inside. The capsule made for a cliff, but luckily the parachute snagged in some trees and the craft came safely to a stop. 
and the broken glass factory is at the bottom of the cliff. <laughs> that is, it came safely to a stop in chest deep snow with an outside temperature of 19 degrees Fahrenheit or negative seven degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. The mountain was so high and remote, it wasn't until the following day when a rescue party made it to their crash site to retrieve them, but the two did manage to survive their trip. No fingers or toes, but you know. <laughs> so you yeah. told us earlier that the Russians got their uh, their rocket scientists at gunpoint. Did they get their cosmonauts in a similar manner? Because <laughs> <laughs> no. I wouldn't sign up. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There was this big, like, it was sort of like China at the time where it was like this, you know, great leap forward. It's mm-hmm. like, we have to get our technology bumped up. And like, they didn't really sugarcoat it. They were just like, this is <laughs> going to take a lot of sacrifices. So well, most of the people seem to know what they were in for. We will climb to space on a pile of bodies, <laughs> even if we have to climb the body to space. I also assumed that if you survive, you become like a hero of the party. And that oh, means yeah. the good life. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So that was all the big ones from the USSR. So let's move on to the US. Back in the USSR. <laughs> First up, an almost identical incident to Valentin Bondarenko. In 1967, during a test for Apollo 1, Virgin Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee were in a pressurized chamber filled with pure oxygen when a fire broke out. (laughs) The crew managed to utter one word to the command room before they died. Uh Fire. (laughs) I said, do you smell? (laughs) I said, buh. (laughs) I feel like the Russians have a better name for their astronauts. Cosmonaut just sounds cooler. And yeah. better names for their cosmonauts. Yeah. yeah. Did you say one of those guys' names was Virgin? Uh, yep. Virgin uh, Grissom. I did not know that was a first name. I don't Unless think it I is. Typed I, that wrong. <laughs> I'm going to name my child after my wishes for this child. <laughs> sort of an unfortunate nickname. So next up is a big one. In 1986, the Challenger was set to take off with its crew of seven to space. Seven's a lot, so I won't list them all, but interestingly among them was Krista McAuliffe, who had been a teacher before becoming an astronaut. She was to be the first in NASA's teacher in space program, which would have allowed her to teach lessons and run experiments from the space shuttle. Oh, and it's, have you seen the footage of her, of the students watching the, 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 like all the students from her high school are watching in a gym, like it's going. Yeah. There was such footage. It sounds terrible. I I saw it in the new Mr. Rogers documentary. No, (laughs) why Mr. Rogers? So unfortunately it was a very cold morning, the day of the launch. And as a result, one of the O-ring seals on a booster became brittle. A little over a minute after launch, the O-ring broke apart, which caused a cascade of breaking apart that tore the ship to pieces. If you've seen the video of this, it looks like it blows up, but it actually tore itself apart first. Then Mm. the fuel ignited in the air and blew up. It doesn't make a whole lot of difference, but uh, it is interesting. It's estimated that 17% of America saw the disaster live and 85% of America heard about it within an hour. So, yeah, no keeping that one quiet. It was a pretty big deal. Yeah. yeah. They had made such a big deal about her being able to give the, the lessons from space. And there's like news programs where she's like, I'm going to be able to teach all the kids of the United States about space from space. Yeah. In the aftermath, no launches were permitted for almost three years while NASA came wow. up with some more safety procedures. Yeah. bit Better O-rings. <laughs> yeah. And our last story today is about the Columbia Space Shuttle disaster. This one had a different cause, but largely similar consequences. 
In 2003, Columbia was re-entering the atmosphere when it's believed that a piece of insulating foam broke off from a tank and struck the wing. Now, normally, foam is pretty harmless, but at the speeds this thing was going, it punched an 18-inch or 45-centimeter hole in the wing, which turned the Columbia into the world's largest ocarina. (laughs) 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 Now, ocarinas are great, but they really aren't meant to go Mach 3. So the Columbia broke apart, killing all seven of its crew. Once again, space travel was shut down for over two years while the accident was investigated and new procedures were put in place. And yeah, that one was almost as bad. And interestingly, we talked about in our nitrogen episode that during a training exercise for this one was when those engineers died running into a room filled with nitrogen and yeah. they just slept themselves to death. It's it's the, the stark difference between, okay, we've had the United States Coast, we've had a disaster, shut it down, we need to fix this. Yeah. The Russians are like, we've had a disaster, get a similar looking man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out we didn't have a disaster. It never happened. He just had really severe plastic surgery. It didn't go very well. Now he looks like this woman. (laughs) (laughs) He had the wrong card on him during his doppel. (laughs) So does anybody have any personal stories about space travel, space disasters? I mean, I visited NASA as a kid and you got to see like the shuttles that they weren't using anymore kind of parked out on the lawn. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Up on cinder blocks. Yeah. (laughs) I uh, was at the Smithsonian. I think there it's the Air and Space Museum. And I got to see a couple of the capsules. And man, it's like two phone booths put together is like the inside of those things. Like, yeah, we crammed four people in there. <laughs> well, you were talking about weight. Yeah. Some big burly astronaut football players crammed into phone booths. You got to meet an astronaut once. Yeah, I was about to say when I was, well, I didn't shake her hand or anything. But <laughs> when I was last at Worldcon... They had two astronauts there, and I went to the, it was basically like the science Q&A with one of them, so people were allowed to ask, like, pointed science questions. And astronauts, this is not surprising, are so smart. Yeah. Like, they could ask her about anything, like any field of science at all related to what they were doing, and she had a detailed, specific, charming answer. She was smart. She was charming. She was funny. I mean, I know that they like make only recruit perfect people, but she was literally a perfect person. (laughs) And later on, I was at dinner and she and the other astronaut walked in and the friend I was with and I were were trying so hard not to stare at them and failing (laughs) so badly. They walked up to the bar and people's pants just started flying off. It was weird. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think in the early days of at least America's space program, they recruited people that were really good at a specific thing. Like, you're our flight engineer, you're our mechanical engineer. But nowadays, since they've, you know, and that was back when a lot of the systems were much more automated than they are now. But now they're trying to set up like a superhero group just in case they got superpowers. (laughs) Yeah. But nowadays, it seems like they expect that something's going to go wrong and that the people are going to have to figure it out. So they just recruit people that can do everything. So just like every astronaut can do everything. Yeah. She was saying her class was the first one where that was sort of required because we don't have a space shuttle up to the space station anymore. Got to jump really high. (laughs) They can't have specialists. They need everyone to be good at everything and they all have to speak Russian and like they have to be the biologist and the engineer and the, everything it's amazing multi-classing yeah 
You don't get to min-max. You only get to max. (laughs) (laughs) Bunch of munchkins up in space. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the only other thing I'll say is just, I don't know, question for the group. Do you guys think that we'll see people on Mars in our lifetime? Oh, sure. Yeah. It seems pretty likely. Elon Musk, yeah. certainly. I, we might see some corpses. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. One of the rovers might be like, doink, doink. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's how all great space travel starts, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. I, if we don't have any corpses in space yet, we probably will try to get to Mars. Yeah, it's a, a lot more space in between here and there. I don't know that it'll be us. I'll say that. I don't know that we'll see Americans on well, Mars. Just based- oh, Are you I kidding see. me? We're going to have the Space Force. Yeah. <laughs> Surely we will conquer Mars. Yeah, I'm going to re-enlist for Space Force. <laughs> yeah. Screw Manifest Destiny on our planet. <laughs> I did learn something interesting about the space rover, though, is that, you know, they have a few pictures of Mars, but they weren't able, for whatever reason, to white balance the camera. Like, they didn't bring a, a white card, a photo card. Uh-huh. So they had it, like, auto-balanced, but they have no idea what the environmental conditions are there. So, like, even though we have pictures, those might not actually be especially accurate. So I guess the next Mars probe is going with equipment to be able to handle that problem. But mm-hmm. it's interesting to think that, like, you know, that's that's just a strange problem to be up against. Because I don't know if you've ever white balanced a camera, but if you get it wrong, like your pictures can turn out like blue or orange. And yeah, so yeah. who knows what uh, what turns it out? Mars like. is green. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, I just realized, though, Mars is a red planet, not a blue planet. Trump will love it up there. Uh, <laughs> but but we, then we also need to conquer a white planet. So we got, we got America. <laughs> All right. Well, if nobody has any more personal stories, we'll move on to what are your morals worth? I'm not a cosmonaut. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, no. if you could get a ticket on a spaceship, how much to go one orbit around the earth, knowing that you have a roughly one in 20 chance of making it through that trip. Also, you get really sick, right? Oh yeah, you'll yeah, be say, very, like, very sick. Horses alone sound really unpleasant. Oh, yeah, do, do I do I get training beforehand? Yeah, I mean, you can go through the training, but if you get sick, you're just gonna continue to be sick. You might get a little better at dealing with it, but you won't stop throwing up <laughs> ever. Yeah, yeah, that does sound. But unpleasant. it'd be cool. It would be cool. Yeah. And so I'm getting money to go on this trip, or I'm paying money. No, you will get paid. So they need a volunteer to go up. And go one orbit around the Earth. They said they we have five back. astronauts and we need one shithead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to cover all our bases. We've got an odd number, so our spaceship isn't balanced. We need someone to sit in that chair. <laughs> we need ballast. <laughs> We're doing an experience, experiment to see how regular people react yeah. in space. We're oh, expecting shit. panic. <laughs> we've got to see. We've got a contract with America's Funniest Home Videos. <laughs> <laughs> Calling Bob Saget out of retirement. <laughs> I was trying to think of the name of the new guy, and all I could think of was Anthony Bourdain. I mean, I'm trying to focus on the death toll, but... (laughs) I mean, but it's one in 20, so it's not super great odds, but it's not the worst odds we've had. It's true. I mean, the the experience alone. Yep, and then you're a hero of the Communist Party. I'd just like to be a hero anywhere. Yeah, well, I'll just say that you guys probably won't get any recognition for this at all. I mean. Well, because you guys were under the impression that like a hundred people had gone to space, it's over five hundred. So clearly, True. we don't keep track of everyone that goes to space. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going to make a difference. <laughs> Sitting in this chair, throwing up all over all the windows. I'm going to start re- plugging things in in different places. Uh-oh. <laughs> We've <laughs> learned all it. you have to do to be famous in space is like sing space oddity or in die. Space. 
or die. Yeah, that'll do it. Through the vomiting, I'll whistle the Star Trek theme. <laughs> I'm going to bring sea shanties to space. <laughs> space shanties. Uh, I will go to space. Give me $50,000. Yeah. I mean, That's right where I was coming down. 50000 you, you get the experience of having gone to space. Uh, you might get the experience of having blown up in space. Yeah. People definitely remember you then, maybe. Yeah. They'll shut down NASA for three years just because of me. <laughs> <laughs> just because I unplugged something. <laughs> Stop unplugging the thing. <laughs> making it better. He, he needs to charge his phone. Get terrible reception up here. Probably get really good reception. You're only 10 feet from the satellites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm going so fast that the data can't catch up. <laughs> Do I get to keep the helmet? Sure. 50000 seems... I mean, it's it's a very good amount of money, but it also seems probably low for what an astronaut makes. No, you're idea. not an astronaut. I told you, you're a ballerina. <laughs> it's more than your average bag of sand gets paid. That's <laughs> true, but I do really want this position, so I'll undercut Andy. What? Uh, I'll go forty thousand. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I guess going to space is cool. I'd like to experience zero g for a minute, but like. Honestly, I don't think the view is going to do much for me. I might change my tune once I saw it, but like, it's crazy. Like 15 G's going up, 15 G's coming down, throwing up yeah. in the middle. Like, oh, to me, guaranteed this, I'm passing out. Yeah, this oh, yeah. does not sound like a fun trip. So I think just take some Benadryl, you'll be fine. <laughs> uh, I think I might have to go a little higher. I think I'll do a hundred thousand. And from what I from what I understand, passing out from a G-forces is kind of like uh, having a near-death experience where you see the lights and stuff. Yeah, you get tunnel vision. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you just won't wake up again because it'll blow up while you're unconscious. Well, that'd be nice. I prefer for it to blow up while I'm unconscious versus yeah. conscious. Well, and, and imagine <laughs> wake, wake up, we're blowing up. It seems like you're going to heaven because of the lights and stuff, and then you're, you are. You're there. Yeah. yeah. Just in the express lane to heaven. Turns out the only way to get to heaven is through a very high G-forces. <laughs> yeah. Turns out uh, spirits bounce off the atmosphere trying to get out of the planet. So. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all we've got for this week. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Oh, hey, uh, one last thing before we go. I wanted to mention that this episode, at least in part, was a fan suggestion that was left on our Reddit forum. This was recommended by old friend of the show, Pavel, so I just want to let you all know if there's an episode that you've been wanting to hear us do, maybe head to our Reddit forum at reddit.com slash r slash acid pop podcast and leave a comment and maybe we'll do your episode. See you there. Thanks to my co-hosts and thank you so much for tuning in today. If you would like more information about today's episode, check out our website at acidpoppodcast.podbean.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Acid Pop Podcast and contact us at acidpoppodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to like, subscribe, and give us all the stars you can. Stay safe out there, and we'll see you next week. Anybody need a potty break? I took one and I talked to my wife. Those are two different things. I peed on my wife. (laughs) (laughs) So how are you, honey? (laughs) (laughs) Oh!